Wires and tires and in mechanical fires? Oh, goodness! <laughs> we dealt with androids and do Android Kirk's dream of electric babes on do Red Shards. I'm so excited. This one has me vibing. It is me, Captain Missy, here as always with the admiral of our, sh of our fleet, of our entire voyage, Emily Pineapple. Hello there, Missy. I'm so, so excited to chat about what our little girl's made of today. Um, uh, people say that this is an underrated episode. And I, you know what is underrated in what way? Because I really liked it. So I'm, I'm wondering if this one just didn't land with like general fans or, or what? You know, there were a number of things that that people kind of came with it. I personally don't find this one of my favorites. I find it like just the pacing is a little off. But also, uh, in learning about how it was written, uh, I, more of that made sense to me. <laughs> okay, I'm curious. You have been hyping the 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 fact about how this was written to me. That was the first thing you sent after I was done with the episode. And do you want to reveal yes. what primary source document, what star log you were able to achieve, which has revealed so much information to you? Yes, that would be the book. These are the voyages. That's right. These are the voyages. Uh, the story Gene Roddenberry and Robert H. Justman want you to know, which is kind of wild given the kinds of shit that they say in there. Um but yeah, it's written by Mark Cushman, and I was able to find the audiobook. Uh, so I have listened to this many times, took down a couple of notes. Uh, but if I get any specific dates or names wrong, I'm sorry. I don't have a book in front of me, unfortunately. We However, are, we are primarily a, a, a tee hee show with lots of information. So accuracy, go, Wikipedia exists. You can find, you know, or Google some of this stuff. I mean, these interviews, I'm sure have a lot of information that's not just going to be on a primary cursory of Wikipedia, though. Straight up, deep. not. Straight up, there is stuff in here that is amazing. There are straight up production notes, like from that day, memos that this production staff are sending each other uh interviews with the actors it's really fun so i gotta I'm tell you excited. i gotta tell you all about what are little girls made of that's why this was written uh let's put written in some big quotations here okay by famed science fiction author robert block uh and directed by james goldstone the guy who directed the second pilot. Oh. Uh, where no men have gone before. 
so let, let's talk a little bit about Robert Block. When Robert Block was asked to work on Star Trek, he was 49 years old and had already written like a ton of short stories. This person was a prolific and very acclaimed sci-fi author. He's best known as the writer of Psycho. Yeah, oh, that's Psycho. That's Psycho. how I knew that name. Yeah. Yeah, the one that that Alfred Hitchcock was like, fuck yeah. He also wrote um, episodes for the Alfred Hitchcock Hour, I Spy, Run for Your Life, The Girl from Uncle. Uh, And he wrote two other episodes for Star Trek, which is wild to me after this one. He also wrote Wolf in the Fold and Cat's Paw. Um, I think that I'm going to sort of give little bits of information about the writing of this and about the development of the story throughout. Oh, um, this is great. This is, this is, we're going to have our own mini-sode unfold within the episode, our own plot line yes. to cover. I'm excited. Um, But just to, to, to whet your appetite, um, there's, there are copyright claims. That's right. There's, possible lawsuits that's right there's remembering the exact measurements of a random actress yeah that fucking too oh. uh all sorts of crazy shit so let's jump into it cold open cold open we're starting off on the bridge of the enterprise because we are approaching a strange planet nurse chapel is hanging out on the bridge uh, Nurse Chapel, this is like the second time I think we've seen her in the series past the naked time. Um, and this was actually the first episode that was shot with her in it. Uh, Majel Barrett, who plays Nurse Chapel, was in the first uh, pilot. She played number one. She was essentially in Spock's role with essentially Spock's character. Uh, but you know she was in a relationship with gene roddenberry so when gene roddenberry was eventually like we're gonna put you know this nurse chapel on the bridge she went home bleached her hair came back and when gene was walking in he like didn't really see her at first and he was like oh like hello and then he was like wait a minute majel and she was like if i could fool you i'm gonna fool nbc let's get me in that fucking chair hey 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 yeah, and it fucking worked. One of the NBC guys was just like, ho ho, look who's back. Uh, <laughs> so great moment for our dear Chapel. She was also named, you are correct, Nurse uh, Christine Chapel for the Sistine Chapel. Oh my God. It, yep. What Carmen Sandiego bullshit is that? I love it. Yep. That's amazing. Yep. Uh so they, they have some small talk on the bridge. Kirk is like, so I heard you like gave up a biomedical career to join the ship. Uh, but she is not taking the beat. She's like, I know he's down there, Captain. I know he's alive. And he's like, oh, so you worked before you came on this ship as a... And she's like, no, like my, my Roger, he's good down there. Um... Kirk is trying to be realistic. He's like, it's been five years. And she's like, no, he's the kind of guy who will survive. I promise you. Spock lets us know that this sun has been fading 
for millions of years. Uh, and Corby, the pasteur of archaeology, because he had translated some Orion texts, uh, he's he he was there last, but we haven't heard anything from him. Uh, Kirk's like, is there a possibility this dude is alive? Because like, it'd be really cool to meet this rock star scientist. And Spock does not answer. Um, and Chapel's like, well, his last transmission was about underground caverns. So, but then they get a message from Robert Co- Roger Corby. Oh my god! Enterprise, Enterprise, hello. Do you read me? Do you read me? Space. The final frontier. So. I was very uh, intrigued by this opening because you have people surviving underground and of course you have what was going on with it. But I was also thinking back, it was a bit of why Kirk would be suspicious. And I remember he's seen shape-shifting creatures before that can mimic people. So he has a right. He has every right to be suspicious of this voice on there. But we also have no reason not to trust Christine Chapel. Yes. <laughs> Christine Chapel. <laughs> I can't get over that. Um because we see just after this it's Stardate 2712.4 and we're outside of XO3 uh which is this frozen planet. Um and Roger is like, "Hey, actually like I think it's really important that only Kirk comes down." Because I have made discoveries of an extraordinary, like, type. And it may require you to make an extraordinary decision. It's uh, always great when people you haven't seen in years insist that only one person come down alone, unattended, with no one else. Exactly. Exactly. Spock is like, that's unusual. Blink, blink. Uh, are you sure that you recognize his voice, Miss Chapel, And she's like, mm-hmm, have you ever been engaged, Mr. Spock? Spoiler, he is engaged. But yeah. we don't know this yet, nor has it been established yet within the canon. Um, but she's like, yes, yes. He- Roger hears her over the communicator and is like, oh my God, like Christine, my wife. My fiance, I love you, Lay. Please, yes, of course. Like, Nurse Chapel, come down as well. Like, please. Um, but yeah, so it's, and it's really cute uh, when they leave because Uhura gets up and gives Nurse Chapel a hug. Yes. Like, go get your man. Like, I, I know you've been waiting for this. Uh, so, in the original story, it was originally uh, written, the outline was written by Robert Block. Uh, after he saw uh, uh, the the first pilot, um, and Roddenberry was like, "Oh my god, we got to get this really fancy sci-fi writer, like, mm-hmm. you know, on our payroll. We have to give him this assignment." Uh, the first outline comes back, and they're like, "Oh, this might be the worst thing we've ever read." <laughs> um, <laughs> he finished it in four days. Uh, he's uh, Block is like, hmm, Captain Roddenberry, I think that I've finished my mission. I'm so clever. Ha ha ha. And they're like, oh, my God. And Justman, uh, the producer, wrote back like four pages, four plus pages of single spaced notes. Um, oh, no, single spaced. <laughs> oh, no. But at the top of this, uh, 
the original conception was that instead of Nurse Chapel, this was just a fancy lady who was very rich and who had hired the Enterprise uh, to help her look for the scientist because she admired him. Uh, Roddenberry et al. were like, okay, well, what if, like, she's his fiance or his wife or his girlfriend? Like, what if there's a fucking reason why she wants to find him that will also add some interpersonal drama? Furthermore, why the fuck is the Enterprise at the beck and call of some rich person? Right? That's what I was <laughs> going to say. Like, I didn't realize that they were, like, a for-hire <laughs> army that could just come in. It was, it's clear... <laughs> Block just wrote something, but didn't have yeah. any idea of what the world of this place was. I mean, nope. just I'm gonna assume we're gonna realize that more and more as we go through. That's what we finish. That's what happens when we finish our our script in four days. Um, he apparently he thought that it was like supposed to be all fun and easy to write for Star Trek. Um, almost every single thing that we see was rewritten by Gene Roddenberry. Interesting. He rewrote every single page, like, to the shooting script, keeping a lot of, you know, like, the base elements, but, yeah. Um, so we're down, we're, we're, we're in these wild pink caves. Kirk and Chapel are in this, these wild-ass pink caves, these rocks, um, which- Pretty darn good set. Pretty darn good set. It was mostly cardboard, um- they were really annoyed with having to build such a big set because it is all of these big, deep caverns. Um, Interesting. Yes. But Kirk and Chapel, when they appear, they don't see anyone. So Kirk's like, all right, let's get two red shirts down here. And this is the first time we get some red shirts as our security detail. I was so excited when I saw that come down. It was like, that's us. It's us. It's Rayburn and Matthews. Uh, Kirk's like, all right, Matthews, you come with us. Like, Rayburn, stay behind in this spot where Corby was supposed to meet us. And we'll stay in communication. And then they walk very slowly through a sea of penis-shaped formations. Uh, just walking and, and walking and walking. This is where the episode got... Uh, this is where I was like, hmm... They didn't have that much to shoot, did they? Uh, see, I didn't notice it at all. I guess I was accepting the pacing of it. I was so entranced. Mm. Do you know what? I think all the phalluses got to me. And ah. I just I was probably so hypnotized by it that I just was unconsciously Freudianly like at home in a giant cavern full of uh, rock dildos everywhere. Rock dildos as far as the eye can see. Rock dildo! Do uh, you know they keep walking? Chapel trips on a rock at one point. They hear the rock going a super long way down. Oh no! It's like it's so deep. They keep walking, and the the cave changes colors. It gets more purple and orange, and they're really pushing these color TVs. Um, when suddenly a spotlight and a person in front of it, a oh figure. Christine God. is like Corby, and like goes to like run to him and. Kirk is like, uh, let's wait until we see who the fuck it is, which is good because it is not Corby. Um, a person turns off the light and we see that it's just some nondescript dude. 
when Chapel says, oh, oh, it's Dr. Brown. He's part of the team. She goes to walk up to him when we hear a scream from offset. That's right. Matthews has fallen into a pit. I was so happy when our first red shirt died. I was like, you know what? Poor guy. But also this is going to be happening so often. It's just going to be so much of a recurring motif that how could I be mad? Like, you know what? Thank you officer for being the first one to die for our entertainment we salute you mm-hmm. yep yeah which officer was this again uh, this was matthews. matthews i matthews. i propose we call the best red shirt death um in episodes the officer matthews dedication yes. award i love it the officer matthews dedication award our first for our first red shirt yes. fallen into a bottomless pit Dr. Brown's like, unfortunate. How terrible of a situation. Uh, Chapel is a little more like Brownie. Like, what's up? Like, that's the nickname that I have for you, Dr. Brown. (laughs) Brownies. Uh, And he looks at her and is just like, explain weird vibes. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, oh, oh, yeah, Christine, I know you. Uh come with me and kirk's like do you know him and are you old friends or something like what is up with this dude and she's like i guess living underground for five years has fucked him up to be honest you might lose some of your social skills living underground for that long so i can see why she would rationalize it in her head as something that is possibly normalized possibly normal uh kirk however he's calling rayburn up back at the the beginning of these caves to be like hey matthews died we need a whole ass security team uh send this to spock um but before rayburn can transmit this note to spock a lurching figure in a diaphanous robe uh, comes uh, up uh, behind him and snaps his neck. That's right. It's literally lurch. I was so excited when a gigantic figure came on. I first wondered, is this Richard Keel who plays Jaws in James Bond? And no, lo and behold, it was the person who played Lurch. I couldn't believe it. Yep. Yep. It was Lurch. He has this great makeup on and they put him in this these diaphanous robes uh, to help him look larger than he was. They could like shove it full of stuff and make him look big. Um, so we're, now we're back in the caverns. Brown and, and is walking Kirk and Chapel to Corby while sharing some exhibition, uh, exhibition, exposition, and an exhibition of the fact that Christine was Corby's student. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he, yeah, just like, oh, yeah, Christine, when you were in his class, like, blah, blah, blah. And these are extremely highly educated people. Mm-hmm. They're all, like, top scientists and stuff. So it could be perfectly reasonable that these were two adults. Yeah. Like, she, as an adult, was taking a class, fell in love with her adult professor, and they got engaged. Um, it's, you know what's interesting? I don't think it, so. It, it, it's one of those things where also it's just such of its time that I'm sure no one questioned nope. that being put in there. Not at all. And in fact, I'm pretty sure that that is a Gene Roddenberry sexual fantasy because the next 
movie that he wrote after Star Trek was just about a gym teacher who all the all these high school girls just really want to fuck him. Ooh, okay. Oh, what hijinks! Mm-hmm. What hijinks! That all these young underage women want to fuck him. Yeah. So I'm guessing that. Um. So we get. Oh, I but we one, also get a lot. I want to add one quick note oh, here. Please. Um, which I, I, something I want to add now before I don't worry about Lurch. Um, so the actor Ted Cassidy. One of the amazing things is, is when you go to look him up on Wikipedia, it is a picture of him dressed as Tarzan with Cheetah, the actual monkey actor from the Tarzan films, in a children's version of Hollywood Squares called Storybook Squares, in which the celebrities played different fairy tale or famous popular cultural figures, and also relevant to our show, because... One Captain James T. Kirk, William <gasps> Shatner himself, appeared on the show as Oh Kirk. my god. That's amazing. It's a reunion. Or actually it's a An future reunion because that was from 1969. So that was even after this had happened. That is true. A future union. I love it. Um we get a whole bunch of ex exposition just in a paragraph uh the star dimmed the inhabitants moved underground uh when you are a student of his christine you must have often heard dr corby remark on how freedom of movement and choice produced the human spirit now that we're underground it's all a mechanistic culture dr corby has been able to uncover elements of this culture which will revolutionize the universe when freed from a cavernous environment missy does this sound familiar to you it sounds familiar to me. Yes. It sounds like what happened with, oh gosh, which episode is it? I'm blanking. Uh, which one did we, uh, Oh, why can't I think right now? I'm too busy thinking of the one that we're on. Um, it's okay if you can't think of it. And it isn't necessarily a previous Star Trek episode. Oh, okay. This, I guess those elements of people like luring him down was similar to the man trap. That's what I was kind of thinking, but different mm-hmm. scenario. What? So what does this yeah. sound like to you? That's okay if you can't if you can't hear it yet, because we'll get to another part where it's like, hmm, okay. okay. But this is this is a great amount of just information handed to us as we walk down the walls, looking at the walls of a cave. Um, so they enter a a beautiful cavern room when Andrea walks in. Va-va-voom, this lady with a, let me tell you uh, what the fucking book told me, a 30, what was it? 36, 32, 36, 22, 35 measurement. Uh, Bust waist Was that from Gene Roddenberry's personal notes or from the costume designer's notes? Uh, that was from the casting director's Oh, okay. So this woman, um, Shirley Jackson, she had been a child star on some TV shows, some movie things. This was one of her first sort of like spicier roles. Interesting. Um, And literally like Diacosta or whatever, the, who I'm pretty sure is the casting director, um, said that she had a Playboy-like vibe because it's all about the face. Hmm. Interesting. Playboy. Playboy's about the the face. Yeah. All about the face. All about that face. Um, nearly every dude was, like, into her. And from her interviews on the episode, she it's just a very, like, 
you're not going to know what this woman is thinking or what she thought. Uh, because she's like, I had no idea that all of these creepy old men had crushes on me. I guess I'm just shy and not aware. I just thought they were nice. Ha 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 ha. Where it's like, she very well could have just been like, I have to pretend that I'm not noticing any of these creepy old men. Uh. Yeah, I'm really curious because I... I thought she was very attractive, but I didn't like think she was that young either. I guess I maybe because mm-hmm. well, how old was she? Like in her twenties, mid twenties. I think she was in her okay, 20s, yeah, early twenties. But it's still, it just it, any woman that's on this set, I am just gonna yep. low key assume got harassed by creepers, and then we'll get a production note that basically confirms it. Nope. Um, so she is wearing an incredible outfit that is basically like pants with two long straps that just cover her titties. I was, uh, I was into this outfit though. I was into this outfit though. I was like, oh, I could walk a runway with that. Oh yeah. So it was designed of course by the costume designer. There were many meetings apparently between her and Jean Ronberry and the, the costume designer to get it just right. Um, because according to TV standards at the time, you could show cleavage from the upper boob, but you cannot show any side boob or under boob unless it is covered by fabric. So there was literally someone from NBC on set every single day that she was there to make sure there was no side boob and no under boob. See, this is what practice and standards and like when you have all of this sort of <laughs> puritanical like neediness to not like have any sort of thing on there is you literally hire someone to stare at people's like breasts and genitals all day long who's their only job (laughs) is to make sure that those breasts and genitals aren't looked at by other people and what is the fuck is happening here like what even is happening You got to be careful about that side boob, about that under boob, um, which is really interesting because in the construction of it, they did have to construct full cups around her titties, which I hadn't noticed until I read this because I would just think it was straps. But in the back of the straps, there's these two big dumb buttons right at her butt um, where the straps connect because... It was made of like scuba stretch fabric, really, which would stretch out like about an inch every day, and so he just had to keep like readjusting it in the back to take it. Oh the slack. my god! No wonder I couldn't tell what that fabric was because I don't think I ever would have yeah. assumed. Oh yeah, scuba fabric, right? Right? And of course, the dudes are wearing a replica of her outfit, but with like a shirt underneath, yeah. like it's full jumpsuit. Um, but her you know, top titties hanging out, not the rest of the titties, only the, only top. the top. Um, well, and this was post she, Dream of Genie, so we could get away with showing navel. Yes. True, true. So she comes in, she's all like, Oh, like, I'm so glad you're here. Christine, are you Christine? What a beautiful name! Oh, you look so wonderful, just how Roger described you. Um, and this, you know. A little bit of kissing up. And at this point, I'm wondering, okay, is this the doctor's new wife? Or is this, nope. like, because of the title of the of the um, episode, mm. is this their daughter? Question mark? Big question mark right there. Um, 
is this the daughter? And it, I mean, this is Christine's concern as well. Clearly from her face. She's like, who is this hottie who has been with my yeah. husband for five years? Um, but Roger walks in at that moment and he and Christine give a, have a big old smooch. He's so happy to see her. She's so happy to see him. Someone from NBC also wrote a note in the script about making sure that this embrace was per TV standards and practice. Of course. <laughs> uh, so he like shakes hands with Kirk. He's like, oh man, I'm so like glad that you're here. And Brown is like, oh, Captain Kirk lost a dude in the caverns also and corby is like oh my gosh like oh no like that's really bad i didn't know that happened um and kirk is like yeah but it did and i actually need to talk to my other security guy right the fuck now uh because someone already died and i don't fuck around with my team members dying that's something that to this point kirk has already always taken it very seriously yes. We, when one person dies, he is on high alert. Um, so he's like, I need to talk to Rayburn. Goes to talk to him via communicator. Rayburn's not there. Mm -hmm. And Roger is like, hey, actually, Kirk, um, if you could please. And Kirk's like, okay, I need to talk to my ship right now. Like, Rayburn, like, where the fuck are you? And Roger's like, actually, no communications at all. And Brown pulls a phaser on Done. Him. Done, done. He tells Andrea to disarm Kirk, which, you know, she walks towards him and he immediately spins her around and uses her as a human shield. Ball, ballsy move on Kirk's part. I mean, it is interesting that, you know, <laughs> hey, human shields, what are you going to do? Like, it's, it's only a young woman, you know, I guess their life is, you know, worth a shield, question mark. You know, just walking in, like, this is like Corby being like, yeah, no, like, this person who is half the size of Kirk can definitely do something. Um, but, you know, he may have other reasons for believing that. Mm -hmm. But in any case, Kirk sprints from the room, is trying to get out, turns around, Brown's behind him, he shoots to stun Brown, when Lurch runs in! Uh That's right! I love he grabs love this design. I love yes. this creature design. I didn't know if it was an alien or what it was, but I just assumed it was the original people of this planet that they had sort of like talked mm -hmm. about. And I was like, one of them survived. And like, what's what what's this dude's deal though? What's this dude's deal? Um, because he grabs Kirk and we turn the camera to reveal that Brown, he wasn't stunned. Mm -mm. Uh he was exploded because bitch is full of wires, tubes and wires. That's no flesh and blood, man. When I realized this was going to be an android situation, mm. I started to lose my mind. I was really excited because that's something we haven't gone into yet in Star Trek. And it's a really fun trope to to mm -hmm. go into is is androids and replications and all this sort of thing and just oh it's it's really really interesting and now i'm even more curious about the writing and how uh, this all what, what did they take it from oh what did they take it from uh so we're we're on the bridge now and spock's getting a message 
from Captain Kirk being like, hey, Spock, everything's so good down here. Like, you don't need to worry about any security things because everything is super good. And Spock's like, um, you sound tired. He's like, no, it's all good. We reveal. It's actually Rock. It's Lurch. His name is Rock. And he is mimicking the captain's voice. Dun, dun, that dun. was actually freaky AF when he started talking yeah. like that. And I was like, okay, wait a minute. So are these like, we're, de- we're are we dealing with another shape-shifty, man-trappy sort of thing? Like, what's going on here? Yes. Um, down on the planet, Corby's like, look, Kirk, I'm a scientist. Trust me. And Kirk is like, that's cool. You're a scientist. What the fuck is all this about then? Like, what is going on? Corby's like, look, look how my buddy Rock can mimic everyone's voices. I'm not going to answer your other question. But he said he makes like Christine's voice. And he's like, don't make fun of Christine. Um, it makes does Andrea's voice, all these other voices. Um, and Kirk's like, you should not disobey Christine Chapel. And Corby eventually is like, yeah, sure. Rock, don't disobey Christine. And Corby is like, this is big science. Kirk, you have to understand how great this science is. This is the best science. You got to let me do it. Rock is programmed to protect experiments. So his simple mechanical mind took that information and killed your crewmen. It was no one's fault. I didn't know. Charge it to the king. I didn't know that his protocol was set to defend when I, you know, have been clearly in league with it the entire time. I couldn't have known. That's why I wanted you to come down by yourself and also my ex-fiance. Like, you should have done what I told you. Yep. Yep. Uh, and Kirk's like, so, so Rock is a machine like Brown? And Rock is like, I'm more complex than Brown. I was made by the old ones and then left to tend this machinery for untold centuries. And then Corby found me and we made Brown. No need to explain, Andrea. <laughs> Who wouldn't want Andrea to exist? Um, Kirk tries to escape, but Rock attacks him again. Now we're in Andrea's, or sorry, we're in Christine's room, or the room where Christine is staying. Andrea comes in and is like, why are you unhappy? You're with Roger, and Roger's the best. Chapel's like, so where's my captain? Like, Two people are dead. Like, yeah, I'm happy that my fiance is here, but two people are dead and you have taken my captain hostage. Like, uh, it, it was at this point that I was like, okay, so maybe that's not the person's wife. Cause it seems like she's really too like keen about the fiance being there and almost seems like interested. So then I was like daughter, but it's an Android clearly. Cause everyone else here is an Android. So then I'm like Android daughter. Okay. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, Andrea's like, how can you love Roger without trusting him? Why don't you like it when I call him Roger? But Roger rocks in right at that moment, and he's like, it is sufficient that it bothers her, Andrea. You will call me dis- Mr. Corby from now on. Um, Kirk... See, Kirk is all well and good. Look, I've brought you your captain. I just need time to show you what I'm doing here. Let's start with Andrea. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm an android. You didn't know that? 
no, she looks exactly like a human and her flesh has warmth, which Corby shows us. Mm-hmm. It even has a pulse. Fucking creepy. And that's when we get Chapel accusing uh, him of making a mechanical geisha. Yeah. She's like, if, she basically if was you like, you just brown. made yourself a real doll, like just for yeah. you to have by yourself. Like you disgusting creep. And he basically yeah. argues like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's been five years. I haven't just been thinking with my dick this entire time. <laughs> He's like, you think I could love a machine? Doesn't answer the question. So Chapel asks again, did you? Like, did you love this machine? Um, Corby says, Andrea's incapable of that. She simply obeys orders. She has no meaning for me. There's no emotional bond. That doesn't answer the that question. That means hand jobs. That means that hand means, jobs. That yeah. means they definitely fucked. They have fucked. But he demonstrates this lack of emotion. But he goes, Andrea, kiss Captain Kirk. Now strike him. See, there's no emotion because no one's ever been ordered to do that series of tasks to a stranger and just does it because they're enslaved. Um, Robot physically assault this human sexually and also violently. Violently. Um, So yeah, just straight up doesn't say that he didn't fuck this this droid. Um, And Kirk's like, so all of this is so cool, like so super cool. Why did Rock kill two men? Why? Why did he kill my guy? Is always on. Literally, he is. This is the thing about being a red shark. Once you die, you will not. Your your loss will not be in vain. They will effortlessly look into your death. You will become. You will look so. You will become such an inciting incident that it is so important. Like that's why we have the thing. That's why we have stuff like the Officer Matthew Award to be able to to Mm -hmm. to recognize this. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to keep um, repeating this until this is a thing. I want this to be a thing that permeates culture. We need to remember Officer Matthew. Yep. We need to remember Officer Matthew. Um, so Corby's like, look, I'll show you. I'll show you. Now, in the original version of the script, they come down to the planet. Um, it isn't clear whether or not the two men die. Um, but Corby poisons a glass of wine. And that is what knocks out Captain Kirk so that he can put him on the android machine. Whereas in this one, Rock takes him down and they just kind of frog march him, march him over to this machine. There's this horrible like playground spinning device. And we've got Captain Kirk all naked in it with just a bar over his dick. <laughs> and we have. Okay, which hot. Hot as fuck. I'm sorry. Hot I was. Fuck. I hated how much I enjoyed seeing Kirk uh, strapped down to a metal machine with a uh, bar bikini uh, across him. And a shaved chest. Shaved. This was the first time his chest was shaved. Uh, apparently Gene Roddenberry thought it should happen. Uh, <laughs> and so it happened. Um Meanwhile, Lurch is hauling just a homunculus of clay into the other side of this spinning machine. It has like two body-shaped divots and Kirk's in one. Corby's like, I promise you there is no harm. Andrea started spinning. It starts spinning. Christine is like, what is wrong with you? When I was your student, you wouldn't have hurt an insect or an animal. Now look at you. 
Kirk's spinning around, and as he spins, oh shit, turns into another Kirk. We oh, have a twofer shit. of two Kirks. It's another episode with two, but these are not opposite Kirks. This is double yes. Kirk. Double Kirk. Corby gives this great excuse. This is where some of the story elements start falling apart for me. Because not only has he been like, no, I'm totally going to explain everything. And then just puts Kirk in a machine. And then when Christine is like, why didn't you just tell us? Like, why are you forcibly creating a second Kirk? He's like, well, if I brought the androids up to your ship, like they would just be objects of curiosity. And then all these rumors and stories would, would start. Period. Finished. Yeah. That is the explanation. Like, oh, okay, my guy. You sound totally reasonable. Um, but the spinning wheel finally stops with the two Kirks on it. And Corby's like, choose Christine, who is your captain? Choose! This was so, what a di <laughs> diabolical thing to do. And of course she can't tell them apart because they're identical. Yeah. And But it just is and like, silently lying this there. doctor like, is a dick. <laughs> like it's, at yeah. this point she needs to know. This is clearly not like, the five yeah. years have done a number on this guy or this tech, whatever. Like something's something's fucked in the brain. Something is fucked in the brain. Corby's like, all right, now we're just calibrating his brain so that it can mimic Kirk exactly. Have all of his memories. We're gonna sync it to his autonomic nervous system, uh, creating synthetic organs. All of this, and Kirk hears this, and before. They're finished calibrating his brain. He has a plan. That's right. Kirk's like, you know what I'm going to do? Be racist as fuck. And that's going to tip Spock off. That's what he's going to yep. do. He was lying there and he goes, uh, just hella racist about Spock. It was, mind your own business, Mr. Spock. I'm, I'm sick of your half-breed interference, you hear? When he said that... I was like, God damn. Like, uh, right? that, that's a term I haven't heard since the Harry Potter days. I was like, boy, howdy. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's one of those words, too, that, like, is used in real life also. Yeah. So, like, it just kind of, like, general, like, not as, not for any specific, you know, mixture of, of person. Um but oh my God. So he's just repeating, mind your own business, Mr. Spock. I'm sick of your half. Mind your own business, Mr. Spock. I'm sick of your. Zap. Corby's like, and now meet an android and spin the thing around and the android Kirk's all, how do you do? Hmm. Can't tell the difference. We are in Chapel's room. Uh, Andrea puts down like some lentil stew with primary like colors of yeah. cubes. There's like a yellow and a green and a red, like bright yellow. They looked like bullion cubes with the wrapper still on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and she's like, I'm now programmed to please you also. Is the food appealing? Uh, here's something great. There were multiple, like there was like a whole page where apparently they were talking about pleasing Captain Kirk and how you could program the android to be pleasing mm. to various people and just been read it and was like, I think that Gene Roddenberry added this. Take it out. It, 
(laughs) We're not on a pleasure planet. Therefore, we can't talk this much about pleasuring people. It just doesn't sound right. Straight up. And part of the the notes that were given, um, because originally there really wasn't much by way of this romance or whatever triangle, um, Jean was like, hey, you should make this person his wife because then perhaps she'll make the even more brutish, brutish assumption that perhaps uh, he tr- he programmed this woman to please him. And an even worse assumption would be that after having a mechanical wife that is just purely objective and does anything you ask of her, would you even want to go back to a female type wife or a rock type wife or a grass type wife? Um, I, I say t- female type wife because that's what Gene Roddenberry wrote in his of memo course he did. to block. And I just think that it's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> my grass type you know one of the, this yeah, is my other type, type wife. yeah you know why would you ever go back to them like when you got a nice hot babe a android one like ah <laughs> oh, you got all you need you got all you need but they bring in captain kirk he's like i'm more or less on parole there he's chatting with chapel and andrea like go sitting somewhere else uh and and she's like i'm concerned and worried and this doesn't make sense but he is this great man, so maybe I'll just trust mm-hmm. him like he is my fiance. And Kirk is like, would you betray Corby if I gave you a direct order? And she said, don't ask me that. I'd rather fall into a bottomless fucking pit than have to make that choice. Uh, please eat some food. You'll notice watching that the line like, please eat some food. Uh, sounds weird that's because they had to record it after they were done filming because they were still writing the episode she's like come on like eat your food and he goes mm-hmm. androids don't eat miss chapel dun 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 it was android Kirk. the entire time the entire time corby walks in with real kirk now in one of those fun jumps looking fine in that jumpsuit and there is a great back and forth between him and android kirk uh he real kirk's all like well there's one difference between us i'm hungry and android kirk is like that's your weakness sir uh and he's like that's one joy you'll never know and he's like well i'll never starve we establish that this android kirk has the same memory as our kirk they mentioned kirk's brother uh george samuel kirk who he calls sammy but now corby drops his real like the thing that he's really thinking about he's like friends i can put a your consciousness into one of these androids and you will never die that is the goal is that we're not just creating perfect copies we're putting you into a copy i am providing you you immortality another episode where immortality becomes morality issue uh kirk's all like genghis khan made the same promises genghis khan and another dictator and another dictator and malthus like malthus as like some sort of new dictator but it's definitely based on malthusian i thought that was very funny um like also genghis khan made this promise 
that okay sure sure yeah that's just i've never heard that one before but that does sound like something he'd be tripping and saying right like i could i could hear fucking nazis saying this but okay okay He's like, you are, you can program these people. So you can program out tenderness and love and who they are. And Corby's like, I just need your help. I can also take out uh, their fear and replace it with joy. I can take out all sorts of things. And I wonder if like, this is Kirk after he's been split in two. So for him, he might be thinking like, well, fear is associated with anger. Like all Mm -hmm. of these feelings are interconnected. You can't just take one out. Kirk's like I've already been through removing parts of people's personalities so that's a no-no and a no-go for me um and 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 now we get Corby's whole evil plot and what's great about this evil plot is that it isn't specific to uh any of the copyright issues but it is specific to the current fucking QAnon Okay, this guy's like, look, what we're going to do is we're going to go to a colony with resources and then I'm going to make all of these android people and we're going to integrate them into society without telling anyone. And we're going to replace people who are famous with these androids and then they'll be programmed to do all these things. And I'm just like, what the fuck? He was like, I like that. He's like, no, no, no. This is like such a great plan. (laughs) I'm just going to make an infiltrated psyops army that is going that no one is going to question why these people are alive you know and continually that there's going to be no issue they're never going to have to go in for repairs you yeah. know that's not going to be something that's ever going to happen this isn't I, going d- to engender suspicion and again five violence. years underground doesn't do you good does not do you good um kirk is like why are you asking me okay you already made a double of me why are you telling me all of this, QAnon? Um, and Corby's like, oh, no, I made this, Kirk, to impress you. Not to violently take your place the way that I have been doing up into this point. It, <laughs> it, it, I, 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 it's like... It's like the billionaire tech people who are like, hey, here's this scary technology that's going to disrupt everything for your benefit. And everyone's like, we don't want this. None of us asked for this. Like, no, but you want this now. No, but you want this. Kirk's like, I am not impressed the way you think. Jumps on Corby and starts to strangle him with a piece of rope. NBC was also concerned about the violence involved with the strangling with this piece of rope. Think of the children. What if they try and garrote each other at the playground? Think of it. He fights his way all the way from the chamber, runs into the walk hallway. Corby's like, rock, protect, because he's just been kind of strangled. So he's like, rock, protect. And rock lurches after Kirk. Chapel follows out the door, yelling like, rock, don't hurt him, don't hurt him. Uh, But rock is also mimicking Chapel like, captain, come out. Um, They're fighting, and then Kirk falls from a cliff and he is hanging on by his fingers while Lurch stands over him. And we know that cliff has no bottom. No bottom. But then Rock helps him out of the pit. Yeah. So Kirk did that stunt himself. There were a bunch of mattresses uh, just out of frame. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Um, Gene Roddenberry also wrote this cliffhanger. He was very proud of himself. The whole script needed more action. And he wrote this in and then like wrote to Justman, like, ha ha, did you get my cliffhanger? 
Um, My God. (laughs) So we're back on the Enterprise when Kirk walks out of the elevator past Spock. Spock's like, oh, Captain, like you're back early. Like you're here ahead of schedule. Let me help you with blah, blah, blah. Asking him all these questions. Kirk's all business, though. And then suddenly turns and goes, mind your own business, Mr. Spock. I'm tired of your half-breed interference. Again with that word. And Spock is just like, hmm, I see Captain. No discernible thing on his face. Just I see Captain. Kirk turns around again and is like, oh, Mr. Spock, are you okay? As if he doesn't realize what he just said. Mm-hmm. And Spock's like, nope, we're all good. I hear you, Captain. Hear you loud and clear. Uh, bye. Bye, Captain. Bye. Waits for him to leave. And then just fucking immediately, like Spock no longer is fucking around with double Kirks. Oh, no. He's like, okay, I know what's up. Something. He's like, I don't know. Excuse me. I don't know what's up. But I know something's up. <laughs> Something the fuck is up. And he he's just like, Spock here. I need a security team to meet me in the transporter room after the captain has beamed down. <laughs> Which is just such a great action moment from Spock. Like, he doesn't even ask anyone else. He's just like, we need a security team. Fuck this. <laughs> well, I mean, he is acting captain aboard the ship uh, as Kirk is down on the planet. It's true. Uh, so, Android Kirk brings Corby, because it was Android Kirk. He brings Corby a bunch of info packets. And he's all like, I felt so at home on the Enterprise. I'm such an android. And I felt so at home there. Um Meanwhile, we're in Kirk's cell where Andrea comes in for some reason and he goes, kiss me. So she kisses him and then she goes to slap him. Um, But he stops her and kisses her again so hard that she gains sentience. Which is wild. It's like smacking the side of like a computer to get it to work or blowing into the Nintendo cartridge. Like it just rattled something in her brain. She's like, oh, hey. She's like, I'm not programmed for for you. And she tries to run out, but he's still seducing her. Um, he's like, what's the matter? Are you confused? And she's like, yes! And like runs out. Um, according to Shirley Jackson, the woman who played that role, he really kissed her. You can tell because her lips are kind of swollen and his her lipstick is all over his face. Um, they took a whole day shooting those scenes, which next is a bunch of action. So that makes sense. Um, but yeah, he kisses her so fucking hard. She gains sentience. Meanwhile, rock appears in the doorway to stop Kirk from running out after her. Kirk is like, Hmm, did you disapprove of Christine's order to save my life? And rocks all like, yeah, it's super illogical to to save your life. And Kirk's like, what happened to the old ones? Is it possible? Now Kirk describes Out of nowhere, out of nothing, he describes an entire story to Rock. Tell me if you've heard this one before, Missy. Uh, Is it possible that these old ones built their machines too well and then the machines killed them? And then Rock is like, oh my God, I totally remember that. You're so right. It's been so long. They got afraid of us and they were turning us off. So we had to kill all of them. I happen to know Mm. exactly what this is a reference to. I think I have unlocked this part. Tell me. Is this a reference to R-U-R 
um i can't remember the name but it's a check a, a, a check play called something universal robots which Ooh. is the very first appearance of robots in fiction and the term robots and it is about people who make worker drone bots that then eventually overtake humans the way that you said oh means no <laughs> but i just want to say i made that connection then that you weren't expecting the thing is you're not wrong because this okay. this is a story, a plot device that is used a lot in different stories. They created the mm -hmm. thing, it was destroyed. More specifically, um, the reason why I think Kirk just sort of comes up with all of this is because Robert Block, who was mentored by H.P. Lovecraft as a young man, um, copyrighted, or what he did is he, he copied his own fucking stories. He wrote stories for magazines and sold them. So those magazines owned the copyright. And then he just cribbed off of his own stories. Oh, my God. Cribbed off of H.P. Lovecraft. This well, the thing is, I knew when he said old ones, I yes. knew he was a, a protege of Lovecraft. So I'm like, okay, so he's just dipping into, yeah. I mean, we're not, I'm not assuming the ancient, you know, things, but like, yeah, yeah ancient, ancient aliens with tech is a, a huge part of Lovecraft, uh, Lovecraftian lore. But even further, if you've read, not, read um, At the Mountains of Madness, this is yes. a story in which, uh, these scientists find a city under Antarctica and as they go down these long craggy hallways written on the walls is the story of what happened, which is the old ones had this city. They made these creatures called Shugoths to build the city and do other things. The Shugoths then became powerful and killed the old ones. And danger oh erupts God. because the scientists are like, oh no, some of the Shugoths are still alive. Down I here. would have never made that connection simply because of the android reskin. I, I, and I like Mountains of Madness. I never would have thought about the fact that even just the backstory of old ones being replaced by their servants is him reskinning yep. the Mountains of Madness. Oh, my God. Oh, block. Even worse, <laughs> um, this is almost exactly a plot from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which was another TV show. That was happening at around oh, the same time. like the TV show. Okay. So that was... So I'm like, I remember that happening in the novel. Yeah. So that was where they had to uh, make more substantial changes that come later because they could have gotten sued. Um, but Gene, basically, he had to, like, send the stories to NBC and be like, look, I'm doing extensive rewrites, but... Like, no one could read this and think that we copied them. Even though I'm doing extensive rewrites, but, like, technically Block doesn't sound like his stories that he is stealing because he is being lazy. And I just think that this whole, like, two random spots of exposition feel so, uh, we had to rewrite this entire fucking story <laughs> to mm -hmm. me. What I find interesting, too, is the fact that he wrote it in four days and thought mm -hmm. it was an achievement and then mm -hmm. is just copying his – like, all of this, the layering of this just makes it funnier and funnier how yeah. – and, and and this guy was successful. Like, what – I man, I should have been a writer yeah. in the 40s and 50s and 60s. I could have gotten away with just reskinning stuff so hard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It uh, – so that's – that's that part. Um, so I just find it's, I just, I can't get over, like, could it be possible that entire story based on nothing? And Rock's just like, yes, that's totally right. 
completely. Um, so <laughs> Kirk's like, all right, so the ones who made you became afraid of you and turned you off. Well, shouldn't you be pissed at Corby? Because Corby is setting up the same situation that you are in. And Rock is like, you're totally correct and inferior. Um, you came from the outside, though. I can't hurt Corby. He programmed me. But fuck you, though. And Kirk's like, no, destroy Corby. Destroy Corby. Uh, and Rock suddenly goes, that was the equation. Survival must cancel out programming. <laughs> what? <laughs> At this point, I, 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 I... I was teeheeing because I'm like I I love when the the and when an android basically gets out computated by a human mm-hmm. and is just logically backed into a corner where they have to unveil their true intentions yeah. because they can't not just be logical about it. Yeah. And there's a lot better versions of this in later episodes, but I love it. I just love it. So Rock goes to attack Corby when Corby appears, and Corby just fucking disintegrates Rock. Not even a thought. Goodbye, Lurch. Bye-bye. Farewell. I was Honestly, I was a bit sad. I mean, but yeah. we were late enough in the episode where it's like, okay, that's fine. If we're going to vaporize him, we've got a good, a oh, good yeah. use of him. But it was just sad. I liked Rock. Like, yeah, Rock's fucking great. Um, but B.S., Kirk and Corby fight, only for Corby to hit his hand against a rock, revealing Corby is also an android. I did not see that one coming. I'm going to admit that yeah. got me good. Guess why? I really thought he was a human on there, but no, it's just androids yeah. all the way down. Guess why you didn't catch it? Uh, because they ended put it in there in the last minute. Because that was where it was too similar to the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea episode. So they're like, maybe make him a robot also. Because in the other one, Genuinely it's a flesh and blood though, guy. It's so what a great, What a great twist right? that was basically done because their hand was forced. Because yeah. you're right, being a human is the obvious thing. But making it so that it's like an and then there were none where it just slowly yeah. reveals that no, none of you have been real the entire time. Oh my god. Oh right? my god. That's amazing. I loved it. Right? Um so he's like I was dying. Like I was here and I was frozen and I was dying, so I put myself in this robot and I'm I'm the same. Maybe I'm even better than I was. Um an alarm goes off. Oh no, a security team has arrived. It's probably Mr. Spock. Andrea calls it in and Corby's like, "Andrea, deal with it." And she's like, I'll go get rock. And he's like, there's no more rock. Get a weapon and deal with it. Because you were able to deal so well with Captain Kirk before. Uh, I mean, true. (laughs) To a degree. To a degree. So she grabs a gun and is walking through and runs into Android Kirk. She's like, I will kiss you. And he says, no, it is illogical. And she disintegrates him. That is the entire scene. It's like three seconds. I was real, and I knew obviously it wasn't real, real Kirk, but I was just like, okay, that just like, she made a snap decision real quick and was oh. like, yep, boom. I thought we'd have like the twin dilemma. Yeah. would be like, shoot him. He's the real Kirk. No, shoot him. But no, it's like, oh, we just get rid of fake Kirk right away. No yeah. problem solved. Yep. Just like, because he won't kiss me. Cause he's like, it, no, it is illogical. Like, oh, oh, okay. So she walks into the room with Corby and she's like, I found the captain. He got out. So I destroyed him. 
oh shit, because she sees Captain Kirk and she knows that she accidentally killed the wrong Kirk. And she's like, I'm not programmed for alarms. I, I did the best I could to Corby. She's like, I'm not programmed for this. I, I was, I was trying. Every time they fail a mission, they basically have an existential crisis. Yep. Yep. So Kirk is like, is this your perfect world? Killing with no concern. And Corby's like, I'm still a human. Let me prove I'm human. I can, I can solve any, uh, oh no, wait, that's a computer word. I can, I can prove any, oh fuck, that's also a computer word. Um, I can, I can examine any reference. These are all computer words. Am I just a computer? It also made me realize how much of our own language just has that, like, right? put in there as well. I'm like, well, these are just terms that I use. I'm like, oh, no, am I a computer? Am I, right? ah! I love the way that he was yelling because it was the same yes. enthusiasm intensity as Kirk yelling, I'm Captain Kirk from our double. Uh, I am double, Roger twi- Corby. Just like, yeah, it was, it was just the same level of intensity. I loved it. It was it was fantastic. Um, He's like, no, I'm the same person. Chapel's like. Okay, but the way that you've been acting, though, is not, like, the same person. So, the fact that you can transmit something, my my friend, not buying it. Um, he's like, I am Roger Corby. Kirk's all, prove it. If there's any human left in you, give me the gun. Andrea, all of a sudden, is like, wait a minute. I love you, Roger. I want to kiss you to love you roger's all like you're a computer you can't love you're not human and she's like love you kiss you pushes her body up against him and he grabs the gun that sits between them and disintegrates them both this was also added in post uh originally he just like when they press together the gun goes off accidentally but i guess it didn't read so they added that very significant uh, sort of double robot suicide. Um, to, to- I, I, you know, I will say, if you had gotten me to the start of this episode and even gotten me to the and robots part, mm-hmm. I did not think it was going to end on a robot murder suicide. Right. After all of them had been eliminated. Like, no more androids. The technology just wiped itself out. Yep. Gone. Done. Um, chapel. I think I'm just I think I'm just so used to apocalyptic fiction where it would be like, and the robots take over everything, that for it just to sort of resolve itself by just, oops, we're done. It just, <laughs> just like, okay, yeah. I mean, that's one way to do it. But honestly, though, I liked it. It was, like, emotionally satisfying because oh, yeah. it is sad, like, that they both, in the end, did it. But, like... The fact that they realized they'd never be human, and because they were copied from human consciousnesses, that the fact that the human conscious Mm -hmm. is more than just electric wires or like electrical processing of the -hmm. brain and things like that. It is emotion is hard. Is good. All the stuff we've kind of touched on in the uh, evil within. Yes. um, On this. Yes. Um, Chapel cries out. Spock walks in. He's like, where, where's Roger Corby? And Kirk says, Dr. Corby was never here. Done, 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 done. done. Back on the bridge. We're wrapping up. 
Chapel's like, uh, so thank you for letting me stay with the ship. She's decided to sign on. She's going to stay on the ship as our nurse. Hooray. Spock is all like, hey, Captain, I was a little dismayed by your use of the racist-ass term half-breed. And Kirk's like, well, if I'm ever in a similar situation, I'll remember that. Steady as we go, Helm. We end with a little mini lesson on microaggressions. Yep. Yep. And that's our episode. Uh, Some of the other things that I learned was that in the original, one of the notes that was given was in the original script, um, the lady who, the rich lady who's looking for uh, Roger Corby, they said all she did is cry and scream and is too dumb. Like, she needs Kirk to explain too much shit to her, so maybe she should have a bit more stronger stuff. Like, maybe she should be not a pathetic character. Um, (laughs) Christine Chapel, or sorry, Majel Barrett, who played Christine Chapel, also wasn't super into the character. She was sort of written to just be this pure ideal thing, hence the Sistine Chapel, Christine Chapel name. Um, But overall um loved loved her appearance in it they had the person who shot the second pilot james goldstone they had him come back to shoot this as a favor they're like we don't know what we're doing this the script is ridiculous we're still rewriting it please help us so even though it went a day over shooting schedule they had him back um, unlike the the previous director who they're like you're wasting time yeah, and this time they were like, "You're doing us the favor, so if you're a day over, fine, whatever. We know we we know the production delays are on our end, not you getting extra coverage that's unnecessary of people's asses." Yes, uh, this is one of two episodes without Doctor McCoy. Yeah, um, I saw that. Was he wasn't listed in the credits either. And most of the principal cast, they really weren't in this because of budget constraints. Okay. Yeah, because there's no Sulu. Um, we had a little bit of a hurrah, mm-hmm. um, but we also didn't have Janice either. That is very true. Um, something that I noticed uh, that I really like that I, I don't know if I thought about, but Uhura has these great jade earrings. This, these yes, she does. Hoops. Her earrings always look amazing. Yeah. I've no, oh, I'll, to me, those are iconic. Those hoop oh, yeah. earrings are always something that I've enjoyed. I don't know if she wears them all the time, but I like if you were to tell me to picture her and draw them, I would put hoop earrings on her. Yes, it is absolutely amazing. Um, but yeah, this was a very fun episode. I just found the pacing a little off, but I really can't get over how much I like the plot, dev- like the the twist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like it as a teaser to future dealings with androids. I think that okay. I hadn't really seen that before with the question of like, is this android a person in fiction? I mean, mm-hmm. it definitely something from that original robot play um yeah one it's something too that i you know even the 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 subtitle of our episode do android kirk's dream of electric babes of course it's a reference to do android's dream of electric sheep um which uh is by philip k dick the the source of blade runner and so for a lot of people that's a concept that was introduced to them through that film but i i only even thought about the rur reference in the moment because it just struck me of when you're describing the story and the plot i'm like i do actually know of of what this is about Mm -hmm. um i would actually encourage everyone to read it it's interesting proto um 
work where it kind of deals with the proletariat and like it's all about illusions of the working class and being like replaced by like other people and industrial it's like actually really meaty and it's great sci-fi because again it just happens to be one of the it is the first instance of a robot as we tend to think of them now uh within it it's just it's, it's a great piece to answer the question you didn't ask me no, I would not kill myself if I realized I was an android. It actually just would explain a lot. Right. I I find that interesting that he decides to prove his humanity in that way. Um, that it makes it seem like he doesn't really believe that he's still human and also that there's something twisted about him because... You don't necessarily have to use that technology for bad. Like, you don't. Yeah. But apparently, these creatures just kind of had that pride inherent to them. And that is something very much from the original um, Lovecraft sort of idea of the Shugoths. Um, And also just, like, the idea of walking deeper and deeper into, like, a mountain and, like, learning the story, mm-hmm. I think, is very funny. Um, yeah, the fact that he just was stealing from himself is the biggest twist of this mm-hmm. entire thing. I, I still can't get over really that. I really like the concepts in this episode. The main reason why I put it so low is because it makes me want to be watching other episodes of Star Trek. That's fair. I'm really curious how this will stack up as time goes on then. Yeah, so I'm very excited to see the other episodes with androids um, and sort of compare and contrast these together. Oh, here's the fun fact. Another reason why the NBC censors were like so up in arms about this episode and probably one of the reasons why there is that weird mixture between action and inaction. There's like a couple of fights, but like they don't really make any sense. Like Rock will just appear to like throw Kirk around a bit. Um, Because Robert Block infamously wrote a script for the Alfred Hitchcock hour uh, called The Sorcerer's Apprentice, Mm. which was so gory that Revlon decided it shouldn't be. Oh my God. Yeah. Like they were the main advertiser. Oh my God. And so the production company had to, like, eat the cost. Um, And NBC was like, not us! Uh, Don't make it gory when Corby dies. Don't give him a glassy smile on his face. No embraces. Be so careful with your embraces. It'd be so funny, too, if all the android reveals was just because they didn't want any gore at all. They're like, no gore. So, like, fine, they're all androids. Or they get phased away. Whatever. Fall into a bottomless pit. You don't see a body. They just disappear. They disappear. Yeah. And that's all the information that I have about this one. They squeezed it right past those sensors, made sure that there was only the right amount of titty shown, made sure there were no dicks shown, just really suggestive pieces of of wall and rock, all these really great stalactites and stalagmites, mm-hmm. um, and wonderful colors. Yeah. Sp- speaking of squeeze... If I'm going to squeeze this <gasps> into my rankings here. Oh, please. I liked this one so much. I am putting it <gasps> number two underneath the man trap. Wow. I'm surprised wow. it even, I'm putting it above um, 
The Naked Time, which I love. I love that one because it's fun and interesting. But this one, the themes within this actually really tickled my brain. I, I really enjoyed – I mean, I think I liked it because – weirdly it wasn't a section pace and it was a lot more conversational and like mm-hmm. idea based and yeah just ideas that i you know enjoyed the programming aspect of it all i i really enjoy sort of the idea of self-awareness self-consciousness what it means to be human all that kind of thing um so yeah this one and and uh, it was one of those ones where every once in a while with these episodes i have just like peeked a little bit to see where you know how much time is left i didn't do that at all i was just watching this front to back as a a piece of media i really enjoyed it i love that i think i've got to put this one in my ranking i'm gonna put this one last but for the enemy within okay i think it's second to last for me and that's absolutely fair i get it it i can say objectively not a lot goes on in this episode in terms of we're not moving around a bunch it's sort of like uh it's you could cut some scenes and it almost would be like a one set play mm-hmm. you know what i mean like mm-hmm. all the drama could just take place in this like room or a couple rooms you know in on here so a lot of the action in between also isn't even necessary which and as you said was basically just added to kind of to bump things out but for me i think that pacing of it allowed me to really enjoy it and and i didn't feel i was jumping around too much and the probably the compactness of the characters as well. The fact that it, it, there weren't as many subplots, you know, cause a lot of times when we're dealing with the creature of the week, it's like, Oh, McCoy gets split up and he's doing this thing. And then Spock's over here doing this mm-hmm. thing. And then Kirk's doing this thing. We really were only yeah. focusing on this main cast and crew. Yeah. There was no B plot. So yeah, that's what little girls, what are little girls made of? That's what they're made of. Copyright infringement and confusion and long shooting days and i am made of smiles and joy and outfits that cover my breasts <laughs> in perfect proper amount with just enough over and under cleavage <laughs> emily thank you again for guiding me on this episode and i can't i can't wait for more writing stories that we're going to have for future episodes i yes. can you give me a, a do you have a tiny nugget about the next episode that we're going to be watching. I have no nuggets. No nuggets for Miri, uh, except that it is one that I really, I remember enjoy watching a lot. Okay. I'm really excited. I, I don't look at these episodes beforehand. I try not to to get on the plot details. I'm really excited. And by this one, I, I can't really guess at all what's going to be happening. There's not a lot to go off of on there, except for, you know, maybe it was the original Siri misspelled. But other than that, I look forward to doing Miri and the myriad of thoughts that I'll have on it next episode. Lots of fun. Thank you so much, Missy. Thank you, Emily. Everyone, we are now going to take our phasers. I'm pointing it at Emily. And setting myself it setting it to stun. We're not going to phase ourselves away. No, That's no, no, like no, no, terrible. No. We're but we're definitely having a nap time. A stun, stun aside. Stun aside. Live long zap, zap. and prosper. Live long and prosper. Here, hold on one second. Alex just wants to show off. Sure. Come here. Show you can show it. Come show it oh. off to Emily then if you're going to show it. He's mm. he made a harp for an art exhibition he's doing. 
Do, it would be coming to frame one. I don't think she can see it. Ooh. And he put my tuner for my auto harp <gasps> on it, so he's actually tuning them, apparently. Oh my god, that's amazing! Oh, for the ukulele one. Sorry, either way. But yeah. I love that. I can't hear what you're saying. He's, she says she loves it. It's amazing. it's amazing. I made it out of old framing <laughs> and wood that I found in the backyard. Ooh. I love that. 